But I think one of the biggest things that we are we are wrestling with currently is just the the possibility of a resurgence in in many different communicable diseases because we have found ourselves in a different age of our culture where individualism is definitely um, in many events taking a precedence over community needs. The writers and educators at Medivera were interested in getting a local perspective on childhood immunizations. So we contacted Ms. Katie Towns, the director of the Greene County Health Department in Springfield, Missouri, our home base. Ms. Towns has been the public face of municipal support for the COVID-19 vaccination program in Springfield. No stranger to vaccination rollouts, she participated in distributing influenza vaccines during the 2009 H1N1 viral outbreak. Hi, Ms. Towns. Welcome to On Medical Grounds. Hello. Thank you for having me. August must be a busy month for the Greene County Health Department. Tell me about the department's roles in helping children receive the recommended immunizations prior to starting the school year. August is definitely a busy month. Um, it's busy for multiple reasons, um, one of which is the fact that we are preparing for back to school. And that always brings about um, a busy season for us in helping to make sure that kids have the vaccinations that they need to be ready to go to school. Um, We are very fortunate here in our community. Uh, We're sort of a mid-sized city, but we have um, three very strong healthcare partners two hospital systems in Cox Health and Mercy, and a federally qualified health center called Jordan Valley Community Health Center. And we partner with all three of these agencies to make sure um, that there are multiple opportunities for people to get their kids scheduled um, or have quick, easy access to uh, make sure that the immunization schedule is up to date. And so we are now, um, through the COVID response, have a new tool that we have uh, connected all of these opportunities into our vaccine417.com website so that people can access um, many different opportunities in one place to find out how to best um, suit their needs and get their kids vaccinated. Have you seen any reductions in childhood immunizations? Unfortunately, yes, this is a trend that has been um, sort of headed in the wrong direction for several years now. Uh, Earlier this year, the CDC did release new data that showed that state-required childhood immunizations in kindergartners had dropped by one percentage point during the 2020 to 2021 school year. Um, Obviously, that doesn't sound like much maybe to folks, but it is in a very concerning trend for public health officials Um, because things like vaccine-preventable diseases such as measles have started to make a resurgence in the past years, Um, where in 2019, we had the most cases that have been recorded since 1992, with over 1,200 individual cases. Um, And unfortunately, with a disease like measles, Uh, You know, we all experienced how transmissible COVID was, um, but measles is far greater um, in terms of its ability to jump 
from the host to other people that can be infected uh, to the fact that it can expose or it can um, contract in 90% of the people who are exposed to the illness. So we have a lot of um, concern about the trend that we're seeing in regards to the slipping in our immunization rates. Um, And that's something that we're working really diligently on um, and have a renewed sense of understanding on, on really what, how it can impact our, um, our culture as well as our schools. You mentioned a few just now, but what are some barriers to getting parents to bring the kids in for vaccinations? Yeah. So I think a lot of people have seen that there are lots of things that are sort of um, playing against us in terms of getting uh, people as well as specifically children vaccinated. Um, One of the biggest things that we are working hard against is misinformation and disinformation. Um, Parents have expressed concerns over long-term side effects uh, of vaccines Uh, And that actually began many, many years ago with um, very false claims being tied to things um, that were not true in terms of um, the after effects of a vaccine. But I think the the other side of that issue is that folks have lost sight of how ill some of the communicable diseases that vaccines prevent against can actually make your children. And we have been fortunate in the past um, several decades that our our culture and our society has not been subject to many communicable disease outbreaks because immunizations have done such a good job of controlling those outbreaks. So I'm, I'm concerned uh, about how we are headed in this direction of vaccines Um, the hesitancy that we're experiencing, but also then the impacts that we will see if we slip below certain points where those diseases start to really take off um, and and create a lot of illness across many different aspects of our society. How does your staff deal with vaccination hesitancy or refusal? So we do a lot of things. We are, um, we definitely work to understand um, and really seek information from individuals who are presenting uh, in our clinics and are seeking uh, an exemption. Um, There are medical exemptions that are offered to folks through the state. Um, But when when we consult with people who are seeking medical exemptions, we really try to get to the heart of the issue. And that often means a one-on-one conversation to understand where their hesitancy is coming from. Many times it can be a conversation about how their individual um, situation or their child has a very specific illness or has had a, a, um, a situation in their past medical history that they are concerned with. And, and those are real fears. As a parent, I can understand that. And I think when we are able to really get to the heart of the issue and then establish ourselves as a trusted, reliable source, we are often over able to overcome some of those um, hesitancies that people are experiencing. But um, it is cutting through a lot of clutter that people are seeing in the media um, and false information that is clouding their judgment. So it takes some real diligence and really applying um, an understanding lens to the situation and helping them move past some of that bad information that's out there. Tell us more about the Vaccine 417 program. Yeah. 
So we're really proud of this program. It was launched um, as part of the COVID-19 response. Um, You know, one of the things that we have worked very diligently on here at our department is to make sure that there were good conduits for information um, so that people could seek that information from one source and then be able to use that and apply it to their lives. So through the course of the pandemic, we offered that in many ways. One, one way was a call center. And um, we got that up and running and have had that throughout the past two years so that people can call and it's a one-stop shop. But through that, we've also been able to learn a lot about what people are seeking. And one of the things that they asked for over and over was one place where they could find all of the opportunities for COVID-19 vaccine um, in our community and around our our area. So we responded to that by creating um, a vaccine417.com website that offered um, basically a calendar of not only our events, but any opportunity that was available to people. Um, And what we did was we just translated that as we moved into school, back to school events. And we've now created, um, you know, other vaccine opportunities that are offered. And we have aggregated all of that information into that vaccine417.com platform. So people are able to find out where back to school um, vaccine events are happening um, and other information related to, um, you know, all different aspects of the vaccines that are required now of children. Uh, so we're, we encourage people to use that and take a look and find what's um, best for their needs. We usually think of early childhood vaccinations when we speak of pediatric immunizations, but teens also require regular vaccinations. What vaccines are needed to prevent disease in these older children? Yeah, so many times it is, I think it's it's easy to sort of forget about how um, as your kids grow up, we still need to get them into a, a yearly visit with their physician to make sure that their vaccines are updated. Obviously, that's one aspect of care. There's many other things that um, an annual visit can help to um, keep your child healthy. And we highly recommend that every year on your child's birthday, um, that that be an indicator to help refresh memory about getting them plugged into their healthcare provider for a yearly routine visit. But as children get older, um, things like Tdap um, to make sure that they are prevented uh, from tetanus, which can be, you know, a, a cut and or a nail or anything like that, um, that often happens with just working around the house, helping their parents out, um, can help prevent them from needing to do a rush to the emergency room to get that tetanus shot updated. Um, things like HPV, um, meningococcal, And now COVID-19 and an annual flu vaccine are all things that we recommend as as children grow up. Well, a birthday is an important milepost and easy to remember. So I think it's a great strategy. I have read that there are parents who have become vaccine hesitant with COVID who were not before. Are you seeing older children and adolescents who received infant vaccines, but now the same parents are vaccine hesitant for further vaccines? 
We haven't seen necessarily documented evidence that correlates the two, but you know, we have definitely experienced um, a lot of the hesitancy or even the backlash associated with the COVID-19 vaccine. And one of the things that we've really worked on is trying to um, meet people where they are. And a way that we've done that is to set, do the best we can to separate the two issues. So we have provided COVID-19 vaccine, um, and then we also obviously are still doing what we can to make sure that kids um, are, can access and that we overcome hesitancy with other um, immunizations as well. A good example is that last weekend we participated in a back-to-school event, and um, there were a, a lot of people in our community who came out to get their children immunized. Um, and we provided COVID-19 vaccines, and then we worked with our other partner agencies, where um, and they were distinguished and separate from us, offering other childhood immunizations. And so even just that separation allows people to sort of navigate that with without the discomfort if they are hesitant um, or want to seek more information before getting the COVID-19 vaccine. We're sort of separated from that issue to, to try and overcome the stigma in a different way. Um, but those are just some small things that we're doing to really meet people where they are and just overcome some of that hesitancy that continues to be permeating. How do we as a community protect our children from infectious diseases? So we obviously use immunizations to do that. But I think the other part of what we have learned um, for the past by the past few years is that there's a lot of um, good evidence still in, in just teaching good hygiene. And folks who are using um, hand washing within the classroom are, are going to prevent illness, not only COVID-19 or flu, but other just basic colds that kids get and strep throat, things like that, that are just tr going to transmit through a classroom because kids are close. And we know that when um, when human beings are packed together, that disease has a better opportunity to spread. So using things like hand washing, and now, I mean, that one of the benefits of COVID is that I've seen, you know, hand sanitizer and hand washing has been recommended to continue um, in many different places that I've been. So hopefully we'll all kind of continue down that road of um, making hand hygiene and other hygiene practices uh, just more and more a part of our culture. What is the biggest dilemma we face in keeping our schools safe? You know, I think this is one of those questions that can be answered in many different ways. Um, and I guess at the end of the day, I think that is ultimately um, one of the biggest dilemmas. Schools are responsible for a lot of different things at this point. Um, they are oftentimes uh, a respite for children. They offer health care. They offer food. They offer a safe place um, to be and to learn. Um, children are getting counseling from their teachers, from their counselors. Um, and, you know, all of those things add up to a lot of responsibility for um, how the school uh, really shares in, in creating community and helping to make sure that they have a safe environment for kids to learn and to thrive. And so I think what we have done in terms of the health department and, and what role we can play in that process is to really work with them closely 
to figure out ways that we can come alongside and and be the partner that's advocating for immunizations and to do flu shots in the school, at school, so that parents don't have to take their kids out and do another stop at their doctor's office or whatever it might be. But if we can take some of that responsibility in terms of the immunizations or healthcare and really work to be the partner that assumes some of that responsibility, I think it just allows the schools to focus on all of the other aspects that they are providing in terms of many different pieces, um, but most importantly, that education that kids need so much. This is my final question, I promise, but an important one. What is keeping you personally up late at night? Yeah. So um, I think in public health, one of the tricks of our jobs is that um, almost any issue that our society faces can be related back to health of some sort. And I think we wrestle with how you prioritize um, all of the health needs of a community. But I think one of the biggest things that we are we are wrestling with currently is just the, the possibility of a resurgence in, in many different communicable diseases because we have found ourselves in a different age of our culture where individualism is definitely um, in many events taking a precedence over community, community needs. And so how we balance that individualistic approach with the needs of the community and how Immunizations really work best when everybody is taking part in the process is a really hard thing to do. Um, but I'm sure everybody you know that listens to your podcast has heard about the um, next communicable disease dilemma that we're facing with monkeypox. And you know those are things that we're trying to navigate um, what, while we're also facing lots of different um, stigma, as well as hesitancy to vaccine or even just expertise that helps to keep people healthy and safe. So um, the individualism balanced with the community approach is the thing that sort of, to me, can set up a recipe for disaster for a resurgence in communicable disease. And I do worry about that. Ms. Towns, we appreciate your work as a county health official on the front lines in the battle against infectious diseases. Thank you so much for taking time from your busy schedule to speak with us. Thank you so much for having me and for really shedding some light on this issue. And thank you for listening to the On Medical Grounds podcast. We know your time is valuable. The resources that we refer to in this podcast can be found at onmedicalgrounds.com. Be sure to click the subscribe button to be alerted when we post new content. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate it and review it and share it with your friends and colleagues. This podcast is protected by copyright and may be freely used without modification for educational purposes. To find more information or to inquire about commercial use, please visit our website on medicalgrounds.com.